What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Murph in the Maze with Tino Rodriguez. Except Tino is on vacation this week. Tino will not be joining us for the show. He is going through a sex change operation. So we are proud to announce that Tino Rodriguez will now be Tina Rodriguez. So he is not joining us today, but I am joined by my beautiful co-host, Murph. Murph, say what's up to the people. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? How we doing? Hope everyone's doing well. I am The Mage. You can find me on Twitter at TheMage underscore NFL. You can find my co-host on Twitter at, I don't even know these days. One Murph Blue. One Murph Blue. All right. And you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Murph and The Mage. And you can also find Tino Rodriguez on Twitter as well at Tino Rodriguez, double underscore at the end. So continuing our Dark Days of Summer series, we have with us today Jacob Harris to preview the Dallas Cowboys, which is a little difficult. We're going to try to get through this, though, okay? Uh, our NFC East rivals. Jacob, how you doing today? I'm doing really good. I can't complain. Good, man. Why don't you go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you a little bit about yourself, anything that you want to plug or promote? Sure. Uh, you can just find me on Twitter at uh, Jacob Harris underscore 55. Um, right now, I'm actually currently not not writing or doing anything serious. I'm about to start start up some fantasy leagues. But besides that, nothing much going on besides my teaching career. So that's about it about me. Teacher, man. Well, congratulations. Uh, it certainly uh, requires a lot of patience. And uh, <laughs> appreciate everything that you do, man. Um, so you're into fantasy football, huh? So that's yeah. basically where your Twitter is? Oh, yeah. All right, good. Because uh, my co-host Murph needs a ton of it. It's not easy trading behind enemy lines all the time, but uh, no ill will for the Cowboys from me. But a little bit of a similar situation going on with the Cowboys. A lot of turnover, changing the guard and division as a whole. Um, Mr. Mike McCarthy is your new leader. You know, us Giants fans were interested in him. So how are you feeling about Mike McCarthy leading your pack? I I, I feel – okay, I'm, I'm torn because the – Big 12, like, air raid offense guy and me really wanted Lincoln Riley just to kind of see what he can do. But I'm excited about Mike McCarthy simply because he's kind of like that adult in the room that can kind of sit everybody down. And, you know, you know he's very professional. He obviously has a lot of – he has a Super Bowl. He has a title. So, I mean, I, I feel like he's a good option. But, I mean, I, Part of me is feeling like Jerry is just waiting five years for Lincoln Rally to become available, and then he'll just dump Mike McCarthy for him. But you know, dreams dreams can be happy. You know, I just saw that he Lincoln just signed an extension this morning, so I don't know if Jerry's uh, dream's going to come true there. So Jerry, you know. Jerry, Jerry's Jerry. All right. I guess let me ask you this, just from the outside looking in, what were? Give me your top four coaching candidates in that search. Um, well, obviously Lincoln Riley was up there. Uh, Mike McCarthy was probably my number two guy, to be honest. I mean, he's, he was a pretty good guy. And then, oh man, this is a long time ago. <laughs> I can't, that, I mean, th those are the only two in my mind that I thought fit, to be honest with you. The other ones just kind of, I don't, I don't think they really fit what Jerry wants to do. Well, I don't think Lincoln Riley's going to come out. I think that he's got too cushy of a job in college football there. I don't think he wants to take on the headache that comes along with the NFL. But you did mention, though, about Mike McCarthy kind of being the grown-up in that room and that you felt that was a good fit leadership-wise. But we heard towards the end of his tenure there that he kind of rubbed some of the players the wrong way. 
He was supposed to be holding meetings. Meanwhile, he was up in his office getting massages. Yeah. So does any of that bother you being a Cowboys fan? Or do you still think that it's that leadership and that Super Bowl that's really going to uh, be on display in Dallas? So I, I, I kind of see it like both sides. Um, I, I do agree that, you know, some of that stuff is kind of concerning. But it kind of in the interviews – with him leading up to him getting this Cowboys job, he's kind of talked about how he's kind of reinvented himself in his year off and how he's kind of changed a lot. And you also got to remember, whenever you have to deal with a guy like Aaron Rodgers on a daily basis, life can get kind of tough. I mean, we've, we've all seen this. It's been all over the news with this whole he said, she said between Rodgers and his new – and, you know, uh, LaFleur and all that. I just – I think it's a combination of everything. But he's – everything I've seen so far has been positive towards, you know, he's kind of changed his ways, especially with how he scouts and how he's going to implement his game plan this year. So I'm, I'm really excited. Well, ironically, you know, you mentioned Aaron Rodgers and him having to put up with kind of the, the diva player in Green Bay. And uh, I don't think Dak's a diva by any means. I, I really like Dak. Um, but it's just ironic that now he's walking into a similar situation, quarterback wanting the big dough. In my opinion, the quarterback should get the dough. So what's the Cowboys nation feeling like as far as the status of Dak Prescott? I feel like I have a different opinion from most most people. Most people think they should just pay him. My my personal opinion is if you can pay him at the right price for what 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 I think he's worth personally, which is between thirty three and thirty five million a year, which is you know not nothing to scoff at. I think they should go ahead and sign him because that still allows a little bit of cap room for you know other players. You know they already have like Zeke and Amari and a couple defensive guys. You know it's not really enough signed for a while, and I think Dak would be Dak's a really good fit for that for that for count for the Cowboys. You know just kind of as an organization. So. But, you know, with what he was asking for kind of at the end or what he – I guess what he was rumored to be asking for, I really don't see any point in in signing a guy that, you know, he has accuracy problems. You know, he's kind of mobile, but he's not – he's not like a Cam Newton. He's not, you know, Lamar Jackson and any kind of that. He didn't have an overly strong arm. I don't – I just – I think he – kind of like McCarthy, I think he's an adult in that locker room. It's a very good presence for the locker room. but. Right, money's everything. So if 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 the cat if he's uh, if he's asking for you know upwards of forty forty five million a year, kind of like Patrick Mahomes just signed, it's not. I don't think it's so. I am with my co-host here in terms of Dak Prescott's play. I think that he's a little underrated in the NFL. However, I agree with you. I don't think he's a forty million dollar quarterback. I think he somewhere within the thirty to thirty five million dollar range, and even to me, I think thirty five is pushing it for Dak, mm-hmm. but. $30 million a year is nothing to scoff at, especially in the NFL when you can play until basically 40 and beyond. So the question that I have, though, well, also, too, there was the situation that I think Dak was going to sign his basically a new agreement, but right at the deadline, it's the most Cowboys thing ever, right? It's like the deadline hit and he just couldn't sign his new contract that they had just negotiated. I think the risk here, and tell me if I'm wrong, is Dak needed to sign that before this season. Not because of COVID, but because he's going into a new system with Mike McCarthy. I know that they retain the offensive coordinator here. But if, he's a, if he has a down year because he's transitioning systems, that's going to hurt him next year deep in his pockets, no? Yeah, no, I agree with you. And another way to look at that is 
Man, uh, you know, Jerry has been handing out the money the last couple of years. I mean, Zeke, Amari, Jalen Smith. I mean, he's just been handing out these big con- – why not Dak? I mean, I feel I feel like Jerry's playing playing this one – he's playing him like a fiddle, I think, some of these situations. Because there were even rumors that after the contract negotiation, you know, after the deadline, Dak was kind of mad that he didn't sign. Well, it's, it's – his brother's been very vocal about it on Twitter. Yes. And, you yes. know, it's definitely – there's definitely legs to the story. Um, I mean, so do you feel like they kind of took the whole situation and did it backwards? Because to me, obviously Zeke needed to get paid, but you probably should have wrapped up your quarterback first. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And I think that, you know, Jerry tried to do that and that, that the organization – I think they kind of tried to. But you know, at that at that point in time, the the asking price from Dax agent was so astronomical. It was just like, come back when you have a real offer. So basically, what you're telling me is Andy Dalton is the Cowboys starting quarterback next year. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. So speaking of paying players, right? We kind of know what Zeke is. Zeke is always that fundamental. He's you know he's going to be a top five rusher each year. I don't think much changes with the running game this year with the Dallas Cowboys at all. So let's transition over to, cause you also mentioned about Amari Cooper getting paid. Amari Cooper got a pretty big contract. Um, he rejected the Redskins to stay with the Cowboys, but, and then you guys go ahead and sign CD lamb or a drafted CD lamb. My, my apologies. And then you also have Michael Gallup in the fold Man, what's going on with this wide receiving core right now? And especially from a fantasy perspective, give us your order from one through three. Who should you be buying the most and who are you least in on? So that's that's all. All of those are tricky questions. So the, the, I'll answer them in order. So the drafting C.D. Lamb, I think that's a that's that's something targeted at Dak. Okay, I think they're like, all right, we're going to give you – all these weapons, and if you can't produce an MVP caliber a year, what's the use in paying you forty million that you're asking for? You know, and on you know the the fantasy football fanatic in me is cautiously optimistic that all three can be productive some way or another, but it's not going to happen, of course. Um, so I I think honestly I think you should buy I would buy stock in Amari Cooper right now. He's the better route runner. I feel like he has the more consistent basis with you know rhythm with Dak he's but he he can compared to like Michael Gallup Michael Gallup is a straight home run hitter he's gonna hit a 30-yard pass a 50-yard touchdown he's not very good at those you know in between routes but but don't you kind of need that with two slot receivers on the team that that's a fair point and I, I agree with that I just don't I just don't know fantasy wise if he's gonna produce as much as Amari Cooper and then third, C.D. Lamb could have 1,000 yards. He could have 300 yards. I don't know where to put him. That's kind of where I'm at with him. So I'm, I'm going to back this up a little bit because you guys kept Kellen Moore in the fold. You bring in Mike McCarthy, who's known as being an offensive guy. He has his own playbook, and me and Mays are very familiar with that playbook because we had been McAdoo here. So do you see this being more of a Kellen Moore offense or a Mike McCarthy's offense? Oh, I see it as Mike McCarthy's offense. So you're, no thinking, you're thinking the three wide receiver sets, single back, mm-hmm. in the back. Oh, yeah. So let me ask you this and take this to another level, because we've had a, a lot of people in the fantasy community on this show 
How do you feel about Amari moving around in the slot a little bit? That I think that'd be pretty nice. I mean, can you see that happening? I could just just because like the versatility of CD Lamb. He played all over the field. You know, as a Texas Tech fan, he killed me for four years. So, I mean, especially, you know, last couple of years, he's had both of them. I think they were over 200 yards a game and three or four touchdowns each. I mean, he played all over the field and his speed, and he, he's a really good route runner too. And I just – I feel like all three of those guys, Gallup, Cooper, and CeeDee Lamb, they can play anywhere. I feel like they're going to, you know, move them around. And to kind of to, to kind of finish my thought about the – the you know Mike McCarthy versus Kellen Moore's offense. I feel like Kellen Moore is excited about Mike McCarthy's offense because for the past you know ten years the Cowboys have been running this nineteen eighties nineteen ninety style offense. That's just not going to work anymore. And I think they kind of progressed towards getting you know three receivers and you know some more weapons out there. All right, so I got to come back to this wide receiver because I'm still not clear on it, Jacob. So help me out here, man. So we saw. Randall Cobb explode on the scene, right, with Mike McCarthy. Mm-hmm. McAdoo came over. Odell Beckham had his best years with McAdoo, and he played that slot role. I mean, CeeDee Lamb or Amari Cooper, tell me I'm wrong, but I'm buying whoever's playing the slot in Mike McCarthy's offense. And then I still like Michael Gallup because Michael Gallup does something that neither of the other two do, though. He's kind of that stretch-the-field guy who could end up being kind of like a Mike Williams type in fantasy football where he might not have a lot of receptions, but he could crack a thousand yards. That's a very fair point. And my, my response to kind of the Gallup stretching the field thing is Dax, that's not Dax strength. That's kind of where I'm coming from with the, you know, the Gallup's probably, he's probably, he's probably number two on my list because, you know, Dad, there's just been so many situations last year. I can recall like four or five games where like two or three times Gallup was open and Dak just missed him. I mean, that's just – that's not his strength. And I, I agree with you with, you know, CeeDee Lamb being in the slot. He could have a huge year. But I'm not – you know, no one can be 100% sure how he'll translate from the college field to the NFL field because it's just I'm, – I'm not sure. In a, in a year, if he explodes, I'm sure that, you know, you know, I might bite my words a little bit there, but – I'm just not sure yet. So, and I'm going to back it up even a little bit more because typically in a McCarthy offense, there's not much of a running game. And he usually doesn't have an elite running back. So how is Zeke going to fit into there? Well, I mean, I think Zeke's a a great receiving back too. I think – I don't know know if he'll, you know, rush as much as he's used to. And that may be good for his longevity. I mean – the, that that was my main issue with the whole Jason Garrett, Scott Linehan offense for the past few years. It's like, you're just, we're just going to hand the ball to Zeke 300 times a year and hope he doesn't get hurt. Well, I mean, it's the NFL. He's going to get hurt. He's going to slow down. I think this way the burden can kind of be lifted off of his shoulders because that's kind of what it's been. It's kind of been, you know what, we're going to establish this through Zeke and then maybe Dak will make a couple of good throws. But now it's kind of like, we can use it's, – it's more of a spread concept. You can use him in more situations. I feel like he'll be really, really good for that offense. All right. So, moving on to tight ends. Giant killer Jason Witten is out of our division. Thank God. Yes, praise the Lord. Thank God. Yes, but Jarwin did his best Jason Witten imitation against us. So, 
what is up with the tight ends this year? Are you okay with uh, Jarwin going forward? I mean, you know, and where does he fit in in terms of fantasy as well? Oh, man, this is such a – it's a hard question because – Jarwin is a fantasy darling right now. A lot of people buy exactly, Exactly, but – He'll, he'll have those big games, but he'll also have a game where it's like no catches or like one catch for like three yards. I mean, I think they I think they have three good options, decent options. Okay. They have Blake, they got Blake Bell from the Chiefs. All right. He's I think he'll be a good red zone, you know, blocking tight end that can catch the ball on occasion. I feel like I feel like they may even use Jarwin in the slot some. I mean, that's he's he has that he's a little bit slimmer, he has a little bit of a receiver build. But again, I I don't know because you know. Remember Jimmy Graham with the Packers, and eh, I mean, it's it's a hard it's a hard position to gauge in the NFL right now with all the spread concept. You know, you're not with the with the exception of the big. You know, the big I call him the big two because you know Gronk maybe maybe great or maybe not, but you know Travis Kelsey and George Kittle were those two guys do really well. They catch the ball, so we'll see. I feel like Jarwin could have really have a breakout season. And you know, make make some money next offseason as he's. Pro- I think he's a free agent this year. I'm correct, but you never know because Dak Dak didn't Dak had a decent you know one on one connection with Jason Witten, but he actually hadn't built that with the other tight ends. All right, so I'll give you two options then. So it could go as the way I see it, only one of two ways, right? Mm. Either there's too many mouths to feed, thanks to Cooper, Lamb, and Gallup. So Jarwin will be an afterthought in the offense. Or you have to defend Gallup, Cooper, and Lamb. So that would leave Blake Jarwin open underneath quite a bit or one-on-one with linebacker coverage. So give me your thoughts on that. That's a great question. I feel like I'm, I'm not sure if Jarwin's ready to take that next step yet. You know, I feel like he he had he has the ability. I think he has definitely has a talent. He has a nice build for this for this modern tight end. I feel like he w- he might he might have some you know he might be the Jason Witten type that goes up the field ten yards and turns around and puts his hands up and you know Jason Witten lived off that for almost twenty years. But at the same time, I don't know. So we I I think I think I'm leaning more towards. You know, you're going to have to cover the three and then draw in maybe an afterthought just because you also have to include Zeke in that. Well, I will tell you one thing. If you have Blake Jarwin on your fantasy team, start him at least twice a season against the New York Giants. Uh, Guaranteed <laughs> 30 points. Yeah. So let's transition over to the defense, right? You guys have a star on defense who doesn't like to sign autographs for little kids while our star does. So give us your expectations from the Dallas defense this year. You mentioned uh, the Jalen Smith signing. So what are you expecting? You kind of lost Byron Jones this year. Well, didn't kind of. You did lose Byron Jones this year. That secondary is probably your weak point. So give us your thoughts. Oh, man. It's – I don't know. I can't – I think they're going to be bad this year, if I'm being, like, completely honest. Because, man, their front seven's good. I mean, the front seven got – their defensive line got – Deep. I mean, Don Tari Poe, Gerald McCoy. I mean, you've already got Demarcus Lawrence, Tyrone Crawford, just Antoine Woods, just, just a bunch of guys up there. But you don't 
you don't really have anything in the secondary. And, you know, you got ha-ha Clinton Dix, which, you know, ha-ha. Um, and then you got you, – you signed, you signed a couple of safeties, but I just – there's no depth. You know, you drafted, you drafted probably your cornerback of the future out of Alabama this year in Diggs. I think he's going to end up being a really, really nice piece. But, again, he's a rookie. You got, you know, a couple of guys that have been there a few years, like Anthony Browns and, you know, the like. But I just don't see the secondary being good. And that's kind of what you have to defend if you want to win Super Bowls nowadays. I just don't see it being turned out so great this year. Well, to me, with the loss of Byron and the loading of those trenches, they're just taking a, a page out of the Eagles and the Giants' blueprint. Oh, totally. Rush the passer and have average corners. Um, yeah. You know, you're, it sounds like you're pretty down on the defense. So, do you think that the defense is going to be giving up a lot of points and the, the offense is going to be the ones keeping this team in it? Yeah, I feel like it's going to be a shootout here, definitely. So, you think it's really going to be shouldered on the Dax? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that's a it's it's a fair it's a fair year for him to have a franchise tender. You know, if he ends up winning 10, 11 games, shoot, sign him. But you know, if he if it ends up being an eight and eight or a seven and nine season, what about uh Vander Esch, man? Because I know there's that that rumor out there about his neck and that short term career possibility. Is is that real? Is that talked about amongst the fans? Yes. From what from what I've heard, it's an old injury, but you know, as as a DFW sports fan, as you know from Prince, you know if you're familiar with Prince Fielder's background and how why he had to retire, that neck injury can come back and get you any time. I'm I'm honestly I'm honestly scared because you know he's a he's a great talent and if he can play 16 games and if Sean Lee can stay healthy, man, that linebacking core is going to be good. But at the same time, you know, but two, all three of those guys have had huge injuries in the past, you know, including Jalen Smith, who, as, you know, most of us remember, he pretty much, you know, snapped all the tendons in his leg in his last college game. And he was he was looking at being a top ten pick before he slipped to the second round, which, you know, has worked out for the Cowboys. But it's always going to be an injury concern with Van Der Esch. All three of them, man, they've all had a tough go in their mm-hmm. careers. They're all beasts, yeah. but, man, they've they've really all had some roadblocks. And I got to respect that. I really wanted the Giants to draft Jalen Smith, too, especially the fact that you guys got him where you did. Took him maybe a little bit earlier than where he might have been, but that really worked out for the Cowboys. Yes. I, I remember myself being incredibly upset because I, rather, I, I had Miles Jack higher than Jalen Smith on my draft board. But you know what? I ate my words there. So I'm, I'm actually happy. <laughs> so let me ask you a quick question also, since we're Giants fans, you're a Cowboys fan. Just we have to ask, are you kind of upset that the Giants have Jason Gary and Mark Colombo now? Mark Colombo pretty much, you know, kept that offensive line right where it was with uh, the exit of Scott Linehan, so, which happens to be a weakness for the New York Giants. Giants fans are excited about Jason Garrett and Mark Colombo. Should we be or what? I feel like Mark Colombo definitely. Like, he's he turned that offensive line around. I'll give him a lot of credit for that. And he was one of the guys that I was sad to see go. Especially since he he played, he was a longtime Cowboy player. I mean, kind of like Jason Garrett was. You know, he also played for the Giants. I feel like Jason, Jason Garrett, I've had so many bad experiences with him. You know, just as a fan. So, I – Okay, hold on. Let me ask you – Let's talk about Jason Garrett, the offensive coordinator. 
Not Jason yes, Garrett. because that's definitely different. I don't give a shit that's definitely about different. Jason Garrett, the head coach, because he won't be our head coach. Exactly. Not, and and then, that was the same with Pat Shermer, too. Pat Shermer is a horrible head coach, but probably makes a better offensive coordinator. I think it's easier when you just have to focus on one aspect of the team as opposed to the entire team. So, so I'm I'll, sorry. Oh, so take I'll, me, I'll agree with you. Take me back to the DeMarco Murray and Remo days. Oh, boy. So – I feel okay. I feel like that offense was suited for that time era, or that 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 kind of like because that we hadn't really upgraded the spread yet. That's that's my concern. As you know, if I were a Giants fan, what kind of offense is this going to look like? Because if this is going to look like the '90s and early 2000s, I mean, you're going to get lapped by everybody because it's just everyone has so many weapons, and so it it's to me it just depends on what kind of offensive system it's actually going to be because. If he 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 is a great offensive mind, I will give him that. You know, clock management, team management, not so much. But he's a great he's a great offensive mind. He knows what he's doing. But if he can upgrade and you know, maybe maybe add some more spread concepts for that young quarterback, and you know maybe y'all get some more receivers in there to be pretty nice offense. So we'll see, we'll see for sure. But you know, I, if I were Giants fan, I would be uh, cautiously optimistic. That's what that's the way. I well, we have nothing but optimism because our team has been terrible for the last couple of years. So, <laughs> Jacob, are you ready to give us your win-loss predictions for the season? Sure. All right. Week one at the Los Angeles Rams. Loss. Week two, home against the Falcons. Uh, take that as a win. Week three, heading to Seattle. Loss. Week four, the Cleveland Browns. That's a win. Week five, the lovely Giants. I got a win there. Week six, May's just cut this shit off now. Uh, week six, Cardinals. Win. Week seven, the Washington Foreskins, not the Washington football team. Uh, I got that as a win. Week eight, at the Eagles. This one's tough. So. I'm going to call this one a loss, but I do predict they'll win the other one against the Eagles. Week 9, home against the Steelers. That's a loss. Week 10, you have a bye week. It's a pretty nice bye. That's a loss. <laughs> uh, week 11, you travel to the Minnesota Vikings. That's a loss. Week 12, the Washington Foreskins at home. Uh, win. Week 13, at the Baltimore Ravens. Loss. Week 14 at the Cincinnati Bengals. Win. Week 15, home against the San Francisco 49ers. Loss. Week 16, home against the Eagles. Uh, win. And wrapping up the year at MetLife Stadium against the Giants. Uh, win. Mr. Mage, what you got? I thought for a second that Jacob was going to be the first – one to give us a losing record for the team, but finished at nine and seven. So yeah. I guess the question is, do you think that's good enough to win the NFC East? That's a great question. I don't I don't know is is my answer to that. So basically how I how I determine most of those win loss stuff is this this year is going to be an you know exception of all out of all of the years because of COVID. You know, they're not getting the time to set up their systems or not you know they're they're doing that you know they're starting that i think their first day of practice was today or yesterday what i think it was yeah, they but were anyways 
Yeah, they were reporting today and yesterday. But I, my, I feel like the teams that have solid bases, solid head coaches, and solid quarterbacks are going to prove to be a lot of trouble for them just because, you know, they've been in the system. But the, the Cowboys, they, you know, they're having to reinstall their new system. I feel like, you know, maybe in a couple of years if this whole back thing works out or, you know, if I just – I feel like maybe they'll win a couple more of those games. But I feel like 9-7 is decently optimistic for, you know, just kind of where the defense is. But I feel like with the, with the addition of another wild card spot, I feel like they'll make the playoffs. I think they'll either be a wild card or they'll win the NFC East. But it all depends, honestly, on how good the Eagles are this year. Because, you know, the uh, Washington football team, they're not really – they're kind of rebuilding, and the Giants are kind of rebuilding. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. But, you know, the Giants are also going to have a new coach, too, and a new system. So, it's, it's going to be tough. So, then you probably predict that the Eagles and Cowboys will finish somewhere at the top, one and two, followed yes. by the Giants and then the Redskins. Yes. All right. I just need something to come back and rub it in your face when the Giants win the division. Hey, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Why don't you go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you again? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jacob Harris underscore 55. Perfect. Jacob, thank you so much for doing this. Appreciate everything. Please let us know if there's anything we can ever do for you. All right, appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Have a good one. All right, now, so as we transition over – we have Tom Green joining us to discuss the Detroit Lions. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Appreciate you guys having me on. How's the mage today? I am doing well. So thank you very much for asking. Yeah, I really appreciate you having um, me on your podcast as well. So oh, yeah. I'm certainly happy to uh, repay the favor. So before oh. we get started, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you. Give yourself a little plug. Sure thing. Well, right now I work at a news radio station in Badass, in the middle of the thumb. Where, well, I like to say this town is pretty badass, but in 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 let's reality check, Detroit's a lot better. But because of virus restrictions, we know I'm better up here. But besides the point, I got this job from my podcast, the Tom Green Podcast, which is at Tom Green Pod on Twitter, talking sports, talking the four major sports, including college football, college basketball as well as my personal Twitter is at TomTV23. And uh, I've pretty much lived that name for quite a few years because back in fifth grade, I'll actually talk about that just a little bit. I thought of me being on TV, so Tom TV, and the name number 23 just rhymed. And, of course, Michael Jordan, all the good stuff, TomTV23. So TomTV23, Tom Green Pod on Twitter and Instagram. All righty, Mr. Green. Well, again, thank you for coming on, dude. Love you bet. Uh, it's, it's time to talk some Lions football. Sure. So, uh, you know, I, I, Major had mentioned you wanted to talk a little bit about Matt Stafford's COVID situation. Uh, we wanted to get a little information from you. What's going on with that? So from all that I know, and it's not a whole, that's not a whole lot, but I was shocked to hear that Stafford was diagnosed with COVID, was diagnosed with COVID because if you, and if you look at all of the players, mansions and whatnot which I haven't but I've seen that he he would be probably one of the one of the ones that were trying to stay the safest out of all the out of the entire team and he's the one that comes down with it apparently first which that's concerning but he is asymptomatic and he looks to be okay and he looks like he's going to recover in the two weeks but 
it was it definitely rang some alarm bells when I heard that Stafford was di- initially diagnosed with COVID. But knowing how he is and knows and knows his role on this team, expect him to be back on the training camp field within two weeks. So do you have any concerns? You don't think that he might opt out of the season? I know that his wife had some health issues or concerns. I know Matt Stafford is a trooper, probably one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the NFL, though. So do you have any concern that he might opt out of the NFL season, given the scare? As of right now, no. But check back with me in about two or three weeks to see how the initial rounds of COVID testing go about. And check back with me later, because that could very easily turn into a yes. But as we do this podcast, I say no, but it, I, I wouldn't count on it. <laughs> so let's move away from the quarterback position, and let's talk a little bit of running back, because there's some excitement there, obviously, with you guys using a pick on DeAndre Swift. For most people going into this upcoming draft, they thought was the top running back prospect. It's either way now with how you look at it with JT and Edwards Hilaire, but DeAndre Swift had a lot of hype out of Georgia coming into this season. You guys have him now, but you also have on Johnson. What's the dynamic going to look like this season? Do you think Swift's going to get the touches, or are they going to lean towards on if he's healthy enough to play? This is it. And the one that I think you're forgetting to mention is Bo Scarborough, because when he took over for on, I have the stats up on my computer here, he had – 25 less yards, no, 26 less yards than Carrion Johnson did the entire season. And Scarborough played two less games. So let's not forget about both Scarborough one. But this is going to be a three, three-headed three competition between Scarborough, Johnson, and Swift. And with the stats that I have here on my computer, I could see Swift taking this job, but it's not going to be easy. I would think that the Lions would give Carrion one more chance because he's been injury-prone. But if and when he gets that injury, it very well may be Swift that they turn to rather than Scarborough. But it's it's going to be very interesting in training camp right now. I would actually go Scarborough as my number one, then Swift. Why running back, man? Why did we get to this point? Well, how did how did the Detroit Lions get to a three-man committee? Um, I just I feel like there were so many good players on the board at the time is it Swift is that good of a player to not be able to pass on that and I also think Johnson injury concerns because like I said he had been injured last season and I believe the season before he was injured so it's I think it's more of injury concerns than too big to pass up but when it's available you when if if he's the best available you take him so it's kind of it's kind of a mix of the of those two points I'd say so the one thing that I can't seem to wrap my head around, you said Bo Scarborough will enter as the running back one, in your opinion? For right now, I, I sort of buy it, and it's because of how he played at the end of the season. He got a lot of tough yards in the red zone when, honestly, it really didn't matter too much. But it's, it's, a, it's a long process, so – what, what, what I'd said today could very well change two days from now. <laughs> Keep that in mind. But with the tough yardage he got when the going didn't really matter too much towards the playoffs, tells me, you know, this guy might, this guy might need a chance. He gives me a little bit of LeGarrette Blunt vibes in that offense. And honestly, I think you're kind of on to something because Carrion might be the guy that's the odd man out in this situation because somebody's going to have to get the goal line carries. 
And to me, I mean, I think you're definitely onto something with Scarborough. Yeah, maybe, he, not, not, maybe not RB one, but definitely from a fantasy aspect. Yes, he pro, he provided a lot of sleeper DraftKings points when people passed up on him. That's for sure. He was probably nice and cheap. <laughs> Value fix. That's for those that play DraftKings and have lost money on it, like yours truly. Value picks are the key. Value picks. <laughs> so uh, let me ask you a question since we're on sure. the topic of rookie running backs, and I know you're into college football. If I'm not mistaken, it's a Michigan fan, correct? Yes. Go blue. All right. All right. So with you watch a lot of college football, who was the best rookie running back coming out in this draft class this year, in your opinion? In this, in this draft. I would honestly go Edwards Hilaire because he had a lot of tough yards at LSU. Swift was also right there, too. It's, it's kind of a two-man between Swift and CEH. But CEH, when healthy, provided a lot of, of very nice yards for LSU on a national championship LSU team, too. So Kansas City got a steal in Edwards Hilaire late in the first round. So I'm really trying to piece – together everything the Lions have kind of been doing over the last year and a half and obviously I know there was a little bit of um, tension between the Ford family and Patricia and Quinn is this their last hurrah um, are they just are they bringing in guys to get on the field and have them play now honestly if this were a normal situation I would say yes but because of the pandemic and all this weirdness that's going on this year. And I honestly say the same thing about Jim Harbaugh. I think this is more of a past year than anything. Even if they go two and 14 or 14 and two, I think it's more of a past year than anything else because we haven't had the normal OTAs and training camp and everything back to when before the pandemic, which I sure as hell missed before pre pandemic stuff because being around people is awesome, but you know, we have to do what we have to do, but, I think it's more of a past year, but once things get back to normal, the tension's on. So this, I, I will officially answer no to that question, but this year will not be ignored. And it's due to the pandemic. So uh, to me, I think a lot of the success of this team is, is going to be built around the O-line, and that's something they've kind of ignored through the draft, taking a lot of skill positions like Swift, for example. What's going on from an O-line perspective? Do you think they're going to be able to hold up, protect Stafford, and allow them to pound the ball a little bit? By O-line, I think you mean Swiss cheese grater because that's kind of how the offensive line has played the last few years with injuries and just inconsistency up front. And they really didn't address that too much this year. So Stafford's a warrior. He's, he's, he's been used to this for five-plus years with this – Swiss cheese greater of an offensive line, unfortunately. I would expect kind of the same this year. It's going to be hard for Stafford, but he's he, he's proven that he can throw the ball quickly. It just It's just really dependent on if the running backs, whoever starts, the, the three-head, the three-man committee, whoever gets to start can break through that line quickly. I, I even said even Sanders would have a tough time with this offensive line because of how inconsistent it has been. So let's stay on the offensive pattern here while we're at it, and let's talk a little bit about your offensive weapons. Uh, we could address Kenny Galladay. 
really both Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay kind of being under the radar, underrated receivers. I mean, people recognize them. They just never get the love that they necessarily deserve. Do you Unless think- it's an Adam Schefter pocket tweet from years ago. I do remember that, by the way. That's very true, though. It's very true. Uh, now, aside from those two, you also wasted a first-round pick on TJ Hawkinson, who had an up-and-down year last year. With those guys on the field, do you feel this wide receiver core, including Hawkinson, is a viable downfield threat that could really put some points on the board? Honestly, I think they can. We, we saw that last year with Darryl Bevel. It was just shadowed by the darn near in um, uh, defense that did not show up. Let's, let's, let's be real here. Um, they had a formidable offense. Kenny Galladay with almost 1,200 yards. Marvin Jones with almost eight. Danny Amendola with uh, 678 yards on the offensive side of the ball. So you've got 18. You've got almost 2,500 yards of offense from those three position players. Now, Hawkinson shined the first game, but went flat the rest of the season. So that may have been, like you had said, a waste of a first-round pick. But Galladay... Galladay, I think, will be fine. Marvin Jones is always good for a recept- at least one or two receptions of 20-plus yards per game. He's almost <laughs> – in DraftKings, he's almost like a T.Y. Hilton. Doesn't show up one week and gives you like 50 points the next. <laughs> so I think the offense can score points. It's just really the, the question we really should ask is, can the defense hold anybody? That's the real thing. Daryl Bevel has done a fine job in his first year with, with the, with the, uh, the hand he's been given. All right. So because we like to introduce fantasy football into this as well, because we're all fantasy football players. I mentioned DraftKings, so yep. we're, we're there. <laughs> so I have to ask, does Hawkinson take the step forward this year? Does he join that upper echelon of tight ends? We know that he has the skill set to do so, but how will he be utilized? Do you think he takes a step forward this year? Ooh, that that is a good question. Um, he can. They they have a repertoire. Look, Tom, I just want to let you know they don't they don't give these jobs to just anyone. So I that's yeah. what I get paid to do. They ask a tough question. So. Oh yeah. Oh well, of course. All right. All right. <laughs> they Thanks. have Logan Thomas, Jesse James, and Isaac Nada. So they're really they they have to decide who who's the one that that is is the number one role. And because they drafted him in the first round, it's got to be Hawkinson. How he can step up is get himself open more than once or twice a game, unfortunately, or become the blocker. I mean, um, I thought, I honestly thought of this as more of a blocking tight end pick anyway. So it's really, he has one of two options is get open more than once or twice a game or become the blocker for Thomas or Nada. It's, it's kind of cut, cut and dry between those two things. So as a fan looking from the outside in, um, you know, it's really tough for me to determine what strength um, of the team is, either offense or defense for you guys. For me, it's probably the offense. So switching over to the defense, you know, Matt Patricia was supposed to be this this, this dude that knew everything about running Belichick's playbook and, and being the next defensive force and the next best thing. Um, what are your expectations from the defense? Well, they're going to at least stop somebody on third down once in a while <laughs> because Pasqualoni's defense could not do that to save their lives last season. And part of it was Stafford being hurt. That doesn't 
Of course, that doesn't affect defense, but that affects how many of the defense are, can, are allowed to give up before they take an L. Um, Unwin has done a very well in the defensive backs section, so expect the defensive backs to take at least two steps up. As far as the rest of the defense, we'll see how he can scheme a full defense because like a lot of Lions coaches, this is his first opportunity taking over the full defense. Like uh, Jim Schwartz years ago, his uh, first opportunity as the full head coach. Matt Patricia, first opportunity as a full head coach. The Lions tend to have these first, and it's because of their inconsistency. So we'll see what Unlin wants to do um, as the defensive coordinator, but expect the defensive backs to really take that step forward for this next season because that was his expertise with defensive backs. So what you're basically telling us is the Darius Slade is actually more helpful than hurtful. Yes. For the development of your young guys, I guess. Yes. So, you know, you guys kind of went a little crazy in free agency on the defensive side of the ball, adding Jamie Collins. How, how are you feeling about the new acquisitions? They also signed Desmond Trufant. That's a huge one. Oh, um, I did forget about that, too. Desmond Trufant, Javon, or Javon Kirst, Danny Shelton, um, Jamie Collins, Nick Williams. And, of course, this is on the offense uh, on the offensive side of the ball. But, of course, I got I to gotta give it the good old college try on this one. Halapulavati Vaitai, the offensive tackle. There you go. I tried to pronounce his name. But the veteran acquisitions are going to help a young team because the one thing Detroit has been in the Patricia and even in the Caldwell era was young. And they needed those, um, those veteran pieces to really show them the way and the winning way. And that's what Anquan Bolden did um, a couple of years ago. Um, let's see. And that's what I think that Trufant and Collins are going to do on the defensive side of the ball as well. But Detroit, Detroit just needed a new lease on life when it came to the defensive side of the ball. And the free agencies and the new defensive coordinator, fingers crossed, may have given it to them. But of course, it's all how, it's all how they play on the field. So veteran acquisitions are huge. It's just how they piece it together, which has been and which has been the key in Detroit, and we've seen that it has not led to any playoff wins as the, as the last playoff win happened before I was even in existence, which was 1991, which I was born in 1995. So it's, it's all can, in the words of Eric Clapton, it's in the way that you use it. All right. So off that Eric Clapton reference, who I'm a big <laughs> fan of, by the way, let's talk about how the Changing season's... Changing the world. Yeah, let's talk about how the season's going to look for you guys, uh, the yeah. overall outlook. Obviously, as of right now, we're going off what the schedule's going to look like. We don't know if we're doing conferences or what at this rate. But based on what we have here, are you optimistic, before we do the win-losses, are you optimistic about what this team can do in terms of win production? I think they'll definitely be better than 3-12-1. and but I'm not sure if they can take the North because you've still got a Matt LaFleur coached Packers team that made the NFC championship game, despite um, that game almost identical to that of 2017 <laughs> against the Falcons, but they were an NFC championship team uh, as well as Minnesota, who was a playoff team as well. So they're contending with two playoff teams in the same division with a third one in Chicago that was in the playoffs the, the season before. So, 
Every team except for Detroit in this division has made the playoffs in the past two years. This is no easy task for Detroit. I'm optimistic that they'll win more games. As for playoffs, yikes. All right, Tom, you ready to get into it then? I am ready. All right, let's get started. Week one, right. home versus the Chicago Bears. This is going to be a question of whether Trubisky or Foles gets the start. As Nagy has said, it's a competition. Despite Foles being the guy that they should go with, it's a question of who do they go with. Right now, I think they probably go with Trubisky to start as loyalty for drafting him over Mahomes and Watson, and I think they pay the price. Detroit wins uh, 24-20. I don't know. You're more confident in Mitch Trubisky than I am. That guy's a trash can. But moving on to week two at the Green Bay Packers. Detroit gets lucky by visiting Green Bay, Wisconsin early in the season, as you'll see. um, You'll see brown and orange colors versus all whites. Uh, But Green Bay at home is no easy task. Detroit has had success. Um, in Green Bay the past couple of years, with the exception of the Trey Flowers hands to the face, which I put my hand to my face right now more than Trey Flowers did to the to the defensive guy. But um, I see an L here, close, 27-20. All right, week three at the Arizona Cardinals. Detroit learned last year that when they have a multiple possession lead, they should still be interested in keeping that, and this was the exact place that they lost said lead. They don't make that mistake this time. 20, no, 31-27 victory. I got to give you credit, Tom. You're the only uh, guest that we've had on that actually gives us – score predictions as well so I'm pretty impressed (laughs) they're kind of coming off the top of my head but I'm doing the best I'm giving the folks at home or whoever listening it a little a little more that edge (laughs) (laughs) I like it all right week four home versus the New Orleans Saints tough game and the last time the Saints visited Detroit correct me if I'm wrong Detroit had a major comeback in the fourth quarter but this one looks This one could end up more like the 2008 game versus the 2015 game. Now, I don't think it's going to end up 42-7, to but I think Drew Brees and the Saints are starving to get that playoff win, and they're going to – they're probably – they could dominate the NFC South, of course, with the Bucs being there. We'll see if that actually happens. Saints, 30, Detroit, 17. All right. Week five, bye week. Let's hope that's not a loss. Week Except six. you're the Browns. <laughs> week six at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh, if only fans were allowed into the stadium without masks and social distancing, and I could just fly down there and enjoy on the beach at the TIA Bank, which I'll still call whatever bank field. Man, that would be a trip. But as far as Detroit and the and the Jags go, Detroit always loses one game that they shouldn't. And somehow I see it being this one. Yarner Minshew has a day. Um, Jacksonville 28, Detroit 14. All right. Still on the road, week seven at the Atlanta Falcons. Could be an up and down contest between Matt Ryan and Matt Stafford. Expect this to be a shootout. 
Uh, Detroit pulls it out at the very end, um, 41-38. All right. Week eight, home versus the Indianapolis Colts. The last time the Lions played Phillip Rivers, Keenan Allen caught 10 passes for over 100 yards, and I was kicking myself because that was my first time ever playing DraftKings, and I had Golden Tate with zero catches that day. Uh, different different contest this time, though, as Phillip Rivers is given an offensive line. We'll see how Detroit's defense plays by now. Um, give me an upset here. Detroit 27, um, Indianapolis 20. Week nine at the Minnesota Vikings. Detroit has struggled since 2017 at U.S. Bank Stadium. I expect that trend to continue. Vikings and Del Dalvin Cook goes for over 100 yards. Minnesota, 20, Detroit, 10. Week 10, home versus that Washington football team. They are the Washington football team, or as I now call them, the Washington team with no name, and America, and America could sponsor them. Um, they're going through a lot of crazy trouble there, and it's not just with the name that they have now changed. Uh, Rivera's going to lead them back, but not immediately. Detroit 27, Washington 7. Week 11 at the Carolina Panthers. Detroit has a history of struggling in Carolina, but with Cam Newton gone, I think they can change that trend. Detroit 24, Carolina 17. And then Detroit's favorite pastime, Thanksgiving Day. Home versus the Houston Texans. Detroit fans remember this well. The last time the Houston Texans visited Detroit was when Arian Foster had his knee down, but the refs didn't call it, and Jim Schwartz threw the challenge flag when he shouldn't have. A lot of things have changed since eight years ago, including my own body shape. Round is a shape. Uh, but, and, and this game will change as well. Detroit 24, Houston 14. Tom, I love that throughout this analysis of schedule, I can really hear the years of pain in your voice every time you talk. So um, I, I'll tell you what, if you're ever in a relationship, if you are now or not, uh, loyalty is certainly a feature of yours that uh, should definitely be displayed. So That's probably why I remained 25 and never had a girlfriend is because I, know <laughs> I can pull all this sports stuff out of my head like it's nothing. <laughs> but hey, whoever gets me is going to have a treat. Just Absolutely. Know yeah. Just be, just be aware that sports will be on TV just about 24-7. <laughs> Week 13 at Soldier Field. Detroit is lucky this season because they only have one cold weather game, and this one is it. Um, at this point, we'll see how where Chicago is at this point. My hope is that they have Nick Foles starting at this point, and if they do, Matt Nagy may have saved his job, and Chicago will win by two-plus scores because Detroit and Soldier Field in the, in the cold just doesn't mix very well. Um, but we'll see what happens. At right now, I will say that full starts Chicago 20, Detroit 7. Week 14, home versus the Green Bay Packers. I like Detroit at home over Green Bay. They have had some success there with the exception of the Rodgers Hail Mary, of course. Oh, that's a face mask. Uh, 
Pat or Lions 31, Green Bay 20. Matt LaFleur is spoiled, or uh, Matt LaFleur's second return to Detroit is spoiled as Matt LaFleur, I'll give a little Matt LaFleur shout out here as well. Um, Dave Schwartz, who was the athletic director at Essexville Garber, who I did the PA announcing for for many years, and hopefully I'll be back there at some point, um, coached with Matt LaFleur in Mount Pleasant before he went to Essexville. Uh, Matt LaFleur, I believe, was his quarterback or running back or something like that. Uh, but a little hometown ties to the middle of Michigan there, Matt LaFleur. <laughs> Week 15 at Tennessee. Another screwy game that Detroit finds themselves losing. And we'll see where they, where they are at this point, whether my predictions hold up or not. But something tells me they're going to find a way to lose that one, too. And a famed quote on the Tom Green podcast last season was from Mike Zimmer's ears, at, M's, at Mike Zimmer's ears on Twitter. And he said, and I quote, if Ryan Tannehill is the answer, I want to know what the question is. And I'm still saying that at this point, even though he's taken them to an AFC title game. Tennessee 24, Detroit 17. I do remember seeing that. That So that is very, <laughs> that is interesting. Week 16, home versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The question here is, will Tom Brady have wrapped up a playoff spot or not? My vote is, I say he does. Uh, I think he gets, he gets the ship uh, sailed in Tampa. Uh, he, he fires the cannons into Ford Field and breaks a window or something like that, to which Martha Ford herself pays for. But um, shootout. Uh, close. Tampa twenty-seven, Detroit twenty-four. I can't, I can't pull the trigger on that. I, I just can't with Tom Brady. Even though it happened last time, I can't pull the trigger there and pick Detroit. I gotta go Tampa. Week seventeen, home versus the Minnesota Vikings. Detroit may have wrapped up a playoff spot. They may have wrapped their fate in the draft, depending on which. Um, it also depends on what Minnesota does. So, real depending factor game. Uh, because it's at Ford Field, give me the Lions twenty to six or twenty to fourteen. All right, Mr. Murph, what do we have him at? We got him at eight and eight, sir. I kind of figured eight and eight or nine and seven would be the the number I'd end up at, and that's I'm what glad I figured to too. I think that was, that's a pretty good draw. Tom, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you again? Alrighty, on Twitter, you can find me at TomTV23. That's my personal Twitter. And podcast Twitter is at TomGreenPod. I put up a lot of polls there as well as some interesting retweets and factoids on my personal Twitter. Same thing on Instagram. You can find me on LinkedIn, TomGreen. Um, and, you know, I'm on Twitter every now and again. I work six days a week at a radio station now, so I'm on there a lot less than I used to be. But... Um, that's where you can find me. And if you want to listen to me on the radio reading the news, www.thumbnet.net. That's T-H-U-M-B-N-E-T dot net. Click on listen live. There you go. You can listen to me doing the news. Tom, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. That's going to wrap up this episode of our Dog Days of Summer. Peace and love, everyone.